Hello, this is Andrew Gomison with the Speaking Firm Podcast. Very grateful to be with you on another beautiful Friday. I hope that you had a wonderful week. I have an exciting podcast to share with you today. And I know that I say that often, um, but that is just because I'm proud of what the Lord has done um, on this show and the things that he's allowed me to do. And this week is certainly no exception I'm very excited to share with you an interview that I did with Jason Romano, who was for 17 years a producer of um, shows on ESPN and probably most notably on the Mike and Mike Morning Show on ESPN Radio, which was kind of the preeminent morning sports show for many years. And a couple of years ago, Mike and Mike, Mike Greenberg and Mike Golick were inducted together into the Radio Hall of Fame. So this is a big deal. And, um, but the, but the, uh, interview is not just about that, but also how God called Jason to do more and to pivot to Sports Spectrum in 2017 after 17 years at the pinnacle of sports broadcasting success. And you'll hear Jason talk about how God brought him to salvation, and then brought him to a greater understanding of how to serve him more. And I think it will be very encouraging to you. But before we jump into that, I just want to give an abbreviated segment of what is going on. Again, I want to keep this segment brief because we do have a great main segment for you today. But first of all, I want to tell you that my loner chair is um, getting more bearable. I've had it for almost two weeks now, and I'm very grateful that I've been able to return to work with its use. And the part is on the way, and so I'm excited that hopefully late this week or early next week, I will receive the call that my chair is fixed and ready to go. And I would encourage you to continue to pray that all those things would go off without a hitch. And also that you would pray that I would be able to get my new chair ordered very soon. It's a six to eight month process to get a new chair. And I was actually going to start that process before the pandemic hit and changed everything. So I just wanted to put that out there. I also want to let you know that the first episode of the Pilgrim's Progress Project, our dramatic reading, has been edited. It sounds awesome. I think Caleb is going to add sound effects yet, and of course he has several more episodes to produce and to complete. And I am going to air those for you when the entire project is edited. So it will be a while yet, but I'm excited about the early returns on that project. So be on the lookout for that. It will be a great thing to do with your family and friends as the fall and winter sets in and you need something exciting to do, especially as things continue to be different with the pandemic continuing to change things. I saw um, earlier today uh, uh, an article about Art Prize and how the organizers of Art Prize here in West Michigan were lamenting the fact that we can't have conventional Art Prize this year um, in Grand Rapids because of all things COVID. And so it was very discouraging, especially since last year they decided, or two years ago, they decided that they weren't going to do Art Prize every year as they had for the first 10 years, and they were only going to do it 
every couple of years. So they did a modified form uh, of a mini art prize last year, and it wasn't nearly as good. And so it feels like a double whammy of bummer that they were not able to do the full art prize again this year. But hopefully we will be able to have that again in 2021, and we can be grateful that God is in control. And a final prayer request, I guess, would be for the pastors and churches of the state of California. Um, the governor and the other political leaders out there are extremely liberal, and they are literally threatening uh, churches and congregations with jail time should they meet in person. And that, I believe, is just a gross misjustice of the law. And I, I hope that these things will be resolved through um, legal actions in the courts, but ultimately through the grace and intervention of Almighty God. And um, definitely praying for them in that regard, as well as for the wildfires that are there. All right. Well, I think that's about all I have for what's going on. So we'll jump in to our main segment. And I just want to let you know that you will really be encouraged, I believe, by this interview that I have to share. Jason, uh, it's very evident from just the first um, few minutes that I got to sit down with him that he uh, is full of the joy of the Lord, that he wants to serve the Lord closely, that he wants to encourage other people to do that. Um, we all have different journeys that bring us to that straight gate, but we all must go through that straight gate. Um, uh, the Bible says, narrow is the way and straight is the gate that leads to life and few there be that find it. And I'm excited always to share the stories of those who have found it. So without further ado, this is my interview with Jason Romano. Well, I am super excited today to be joined on the Speaking for Him podcast by Jason Romano. And I got to know, uh, quote unquote, Jason through his um, work on the Sports Spectrum podcast. And I guess a little bit on ESPN, though I didn't pick up on who you were while you were at ESPN. Um, but thank you for uh, agreeing uh, to come on the show. I really appreciate it. You are welcome. Thanks so much for inviting me, Andrew. Great to talk to you. I hear you referring every once in a while, um, both on Sports Spectrum and also in interviews I've heard you give a little bit about your growing up years, but can you give us a little summary of that? I absolutely can. Yeah. When I was uh, a kid, I grew up in upstate New York, uh, the capital of New York State, Albany, a uh, little town about 12 miles south of Albany called Ravina, New York. And it's a small place, a couple thousand people. Uh, it's a village. It's literally the village of Ravina. So that's how small it is. And everybody kind of knew everybody. Uh, which is good and bad. You know, you have friends and everybody kind of knows who you are and what you're doing. But uh, at the same time, uh, you know, you you want your, your time alone too. And so you kind of manage that as a kid. But we had a lot of friends. We were always playing sports, always out in the backyard. And, uh, you know, I grew up in a, a broken household, I guess you could call it that, with a mom and a dad who divorced when I was five years old and uh, almost turning six. And so I don't really have many much memory of my parents being together. Uh, but my dad was around, but he wasn't present in my life, as I like to tell people. Uh, but he was around, and uh, we, sw we spent time with him on the weekends and his parents, who were my grandparents. Uh, but my mom was the one who kind of carried the load and took care of me and my two brothers. I'm the oldest of three boys. 
and uh, grew up again loving sports. In fact, I would say sports was really the only thing I cared about as a as a kid going into my teen years. You know, I, I went to school and I did what I had to do in school, and certainly, you know, like every you know pubescent boy, you know, you're always starting to get interested in girls and things like that. But sports was my was my god. Uh, and that was what I cared about. That's all I watched. That's all I really paid attention to. Uh, I read Sports Illustrated every week. I would fight with my brothers for the sports newspaper every morning. So I was a, a giant sports fan growing up. And that's really where my love of sports stemmed from. And what would you say is your earliest sports memory as a sports fan? Oh, I love this question. So I have a vivid memory of being seven years old. And it would have been January of 1981, and the Eagles, which which makes me old, Andrew. That's that makes me <laughs> really really old. But Andrew, uh, I was I remember watching the you know I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan. I have been since I was you know six years old. I have pictures of me at my sixth birthday wearing a Roger Staubach jersey. Again, I'm old, and and holding a little Dallas Cowboy figurine. That would have been in 1979. And so uh, I have proof that I've been a Cowboys fan for, oh gosh, 40-plus years now. But in 1981, the Eagles and the Cowboys played for the Super Bowl, or the chance to go to the Super Bowl in the NFC Championship game. The game was played in Philadelphia in the old Veterans Stadium. And my brother, who is two and a half years younger than me, for some reason, roots for the Eagles. And it started around that time, that season, when he was literally four years old, when he started rooting for the Eagles, and I was a Cowboys fan, continue to be a Cowboys fan, and we are still rivals in the football world, but best friends outside of the football world. Uh, and he's an Eagles fan. I'm a Cowboys fan to this day. But that game, I remember watching that game at my grandparents' house, and Dallas lost, I think, 20-7. to And it was cold, and the vet was just on – you know, rocking on fire. It was the first time the Eagles ever got a Super Bowl berth. And, uh, you know, they played a great game. But I remember crying, crying real tears at seven years old. And then the following year, which would have been the Cowboys losing to the 49ers in the NFC Championship game. We see a pattern here. Uh, I remember watching that game, and that was the Joe Montana to Dwight Clark touchdown, the famous touchdown. And I remember crying my eyes out at eight years old watching that. So I would say those two games are my earliest sports memories, specifically because I remember being so upset that my team had lost at, you know, seven, eight years old. So, Well, I, I know what loss is all about as a Lions fan. So <laughs> I, I understand. I watched every single game of the 0-16 season, so anybody... Oh, you're a real fan, Andrew. I, I didn't necessarily watch every single second of every game because sometimes I would turn it off before the game was over, <laughs> but I did watch every single game and hoped that they could get at least one. And now, unless they expand the... Well, I guess when, when, they, when they expand the length of the season, somebody will be able to beat them as in terms of... Um, being the worst, but until yeah, we, we can only hope so, right? <laughs> we're stuck tied. So just as a, as a slight aside question, you, you grew up in New York, a place where there's three NFL teams represented. How yeah. in the world did you end up a Dallas Cowboys fan? 
You know, I honestly don't know ex- the exact reason other than when I talked to my dad about this, because, you know, I told you my brother's an Eagles fan. Well, my dad, who, you know, we, we had a very confusing relationship for many years, but we bonded over sports. And so he's a Giants fan, Andrew. So think about this. He's a Giants fan. I chose the Cowboys, and my brother is an Eagles fan. My actual other brother, ironically, is a Lions fan. So we're kind of all over the place. You know, we're not that family that all cheers for the same team. Some days I wish we were. Uh, But my dad tells me when I was four or five years old, I was watching a Giants game against the Cowboys with him. And back then, you know, the the New York teams, the Giants were on every week, obviously. But Dallas was usually the doubleheader four o'clock game. And so that this is, again, before Sunday ticket. So I'm watching the game, and I say, Dad, who is that team with the star in the helmet? I like them. And my dad apparently tells a story. He's like, no, we don't root for that team. That's the Cowboys. And I said, no, I actually like that team. Cowboys with a star? Oh, I'm going to root for them. So five-year-old me picks the team with the star in the helmet. But then as I get a little bit older and I start watching sports and understanding it at seven, eight years old, I that's my team. And I picked it. I stood, you know, have stuck with it. And to this day, I'm 47 this week. I'll be 47 years old. I'm still a Cowboys fan. Well, that that's very interesting. I am, I'm a Lions fan because my, my dad uh, grew up rooting for the Lions. And, and then, you know, of course I, I, he passed it on to me and he often laments the fact that the last time the Lions won a championship was the year before he was born in 1957. <laughs> It's been a while. <laughs> Half jokes that maybe it's his fault, but that's right. Anyway, so how did you get into broadcasting? You spent time um, at ESPN, and now you're broadcasting for Sports Spectrum. So how did that journey begin for you? Yeah. So as a kid, uh, like I said, I love sports, and you know I played it as well, but I wasn't uh, good enough to make it, obviously, a professional or even on a high level of college. And so as I got through towards the end of high school and you start to think about college and where you want to go and what do you want to do? I pretty much made a decision at 16 or 17 years old that, okay, I can't play sports professionally in all likelihood. So why not go for sports broadcasting? In fact, my high school yearbook, my senior year, it's, you know, how they have like a little write up for each person. It says Jason Romano ambition to be the greatest sports announcer ever or to, to, to surpass Howard Cosell as the greatest sports announcer ever. Now, this is in 1991 that I said that. But my goal, even at 17, was to be in sports broadcasting. And, uh, you know, so I went to college specifically for that. And so I picked a community college that was pretty close to my house, a couple hours away, that had a great broadcasting program, got my associate's degree, had a lot of hands-on experience, you know, doing my own radio show, doing a sports talk show, broadcasting games, things like that. And then my four-year degree, uh, I went back to school. I actually took a couple years off, um, just kind of figuring out things, trying to, you know, experience real life, I guess, at 20 years old. And you know, I was working at a hospital, and, you know, I made enough money to live in my own apartment. But I remember having a conversation with my what would turn out to be one of my best friends and a guy who was my best man at my wedding. His name is Ed. And a Eddie and I had this conversation one day and we were both working at, I was, he was working at a bank. I was working at a hospital. We're 20 years old. We're living on our own in our own apartment. And I looked at him and I said, I don't think I want to be at the hospital for the rest of my life. 
And he looked at me and said, I don't think I want to be at a bank for the rest of my life. And I said, well, why don't we just go chase what we want to do? He said, I want to be in advertising. And I said, well, I want to be in broadcasting. And so we went back to school, uh, back to college. We both found uh, four-year schools that we transferred our associate's degree into. And I went to a, a little small state university school in New York State called New Paltz, which is one hour direct north of New York City. And uh, they have, again, a great broadcasting program and got out of college. And that's where it started. And, uh, you know, I was fortunate after I graduated in May of 1997 to uh, find a job about three months after that. And it took me a few, a, a little while, but about three months after I graduated, I found a job making $15,000 a year, Andrew, salaried. So there was no hourly. There was no extra overtime. And that, that's the equivalent of about six bucks an hour, I think, is what it is. Not a, not a lot of money. But I was so thankful to get that first job in broadcasting. And when I got it, I ran with it. And I said, if I have to work three jobs to make this work, I'm going to do it. And that's what I did because I wanted to work in broadcasting so bad. And uh, right around the time that I got my first job was also when I met my future wife, who I've been married to now for 21 years. And so a lot of things happened in that in that summer of 1997, and meeting my wife and uh, getting my first job in broadcasting. And uh, I worked three years. It was in local radio in Albany, and I was a producer. And then ESPN came calling and moved there three years later and worked there for 17 years. So talk about that transition. How did you come to the attention of ESPN, and how did you decide to make that move? Because that, for a broadcaster, I mean, that has to be at the top of the dream list. I, I know I've had aspirations of broadcasting myself, which is why I have a podcast that um, yeah. allows me to do that and continue to keep my skills sharp for the possibility of future opportunities. Um, but I'm just wondering, what, what was that like? So, you know, ESPN, was it a dream job? Yes, absolutely. But I tell people, my aspirations and goals when I was working in local radio was not to climb the, the ladder to get to ESPN because I didn't think that I could get there, if that makes sense. You know, I didn't dream big enough to dream about ESPN. My, my dream job, if I'm being quite honest, would have been to be the sports anchor for the 11 o'clock sports on the news in Albany on the local NBC affiliate, Channel 13. That would have been a dream because I never thought that ESPN was even achievable. But I'll tell you how I got the job. So in 1998, six months after I graduated college, I saw a job opening on the Internet. This is early days of the Internet, but I saw a job opening, and it, it read ESPN Radio Producer, Network Level, five years network experience, you know, apply, click the button. And this was, again, in the early days. And I uh, uploaded a resume and applied for the job, but I did it just to, it was almost like on a dare to myself. Like, let me just apply and see if they even respond. Is this real? And if they don't, big deal. You know, I tried. Well, about a week or two later, I get a call and it's from this person at ESPN and he says, hey, we'd like to have you come out to Bristol, Connecticut for an interview. And I was shocked, like absolutely shocked. And I remember my wife and I at the time, she was my girlfriend. I, I remember telling her, I'm going out to Bristol, Connecticut for an interview at ESPN. 
And uh, I have no idea if this is real or not, but I'm going. And uh, my friend John uh, Wimmer, I'll never forget, um, was my was my uh, co-pilot and came with me because he he you know I said I don't want to drive out two hours on my own, so he came with me. We drove through <clears throat> we drove through Harp- Hartford and ended up in Bristol, Connecticut. No GPS at the time. Had to use the old-fashioned map to figure out where we were going. And we got there. And I remember walking into ESPN and thinking, if this is the best it gets, this is amazing. That I got to go to ESPN and interview for a job. No joke. That would have been a story that I would tell my grandkids. I can understand that. If I if I got an interview right? for um, the local radio station, I would be pretty geeked. So I can right. – Just the interview. Uh, right, Andrew? So, just the so, would be huge to go there. Yes, exactly. And so for me – Walking into the offices, I was like, all right, this is, this is as good as it's going to get unless I actually get the job, which I really didn't think I was going to. I don't know why. Maybe I just didn't have confidence in myself or certainly I didn't fit the criteria that I for, was for the job that I applied for. I mean, it asked for five years experience and I had five months. So I didn't have exactly what they were looking for, but they still called me. So I remember sitting down with a guy named Len Weiner, who was the program director of ESPN Radio. This is the national radio network that is in Bristol, Connecticut, with ESPN Television, obviously, and, and the dot-com. And Len and I talk, and the very first thing he asked me is, do you have a girlfriend? I thought, this is weird. I said, I do, actually. He's like, do you think you're going to marry her someday? I said, I do. I really do. I think, I think uh, there could come a time in the next year or two where I might do that. He goes, well, then you're not ready to come to ESPN yet. And I said, why? He's like, well, you don't have the experience, but you also have someone that's – you know, that you care about. And, you know, you need to make sure you get all those ducks in the row before you start making a move to a different city. Uh, I don't want to, I don't want to hire you and then have you end up missing the opportunity to marry the person that you might marry. And I thought that's an odd thing to hear in an interview. But honestly, at that time, Andrew, I hadn't interviewed a lot of places. So maybe that's the norm. But I was so glad that he was straight up honest with me and said, you're not ready yet. But thank you for coming. And he gave me a tour. And it was like a great you know, a couple hours experience of going to Bristol. Didn't get the job, obviously. I still have the letter that ESPN sent me. We are sorry. We regret to inform you. You know, we thank you for your interest, but, you know, we've decided to pursue and hire somebody else or whatever. So didn't think anything of it. Never thought I was going to get the job in the first place. Enjoyed the job I was doing at the time. Two years later, almost to the day, in April or March of 2000, same job opens up. Same job is available, same website, everything. And now I've got a couple years experience, Andrew. So I'm like, eh, almost again, like in a dare to myself. I'm like, let me apply and let me submit my resume again. And let's just see if they're still interested. Lo and behold, I get a phone call from a guy named Keith Goralski, who's the one who ended up hiring me. And he said, Jason, we got your resume. We know you were here a couple years ago. We'd love to have you come back and interview for the interview for this job. And the job was producer one. ESPN radio. And this time I'm married. We have uh, a little place that we had just moved into my wife and I, and we were more equipped, I guess, to say, if this is real and this happens, we can make the move. Now I know I'm, I'm, I'm answering your question with a very long winded story, so I'll make it short and sweet. I went through two rounds of interviews, interviewed with a few of the same people, uh, two people, myself and one other person, were the final two candidates. They created a second job and hired us both and offered me a position, and I took it. 
I'll tell you what it was. It was for $38,000. So it wasn't this astronomical salary, but I would have gone for $3,800, to be honest with you, Andrew. It didn't matter. It was ESPN. They wanted to hire me and have me be an employee of this place, and I was saying yes, no doubt. And thankfully, I had a wife who was supportive and said, yeah, let's go. You know, this is your dream. And we've been in Connecticut now for 20 years. So, Wow. And, of course, uh, you deal with all the snow and winter weather that comes to Connecticut and other not-so-warm climates. Um, we I do. Always, I always joke that um, – but it's only like half a joke because if I ever get to the place where I can snowbird, I'm definitely heading to Arizona in the winter. So <laughs> I, I, I tell you, I will go with you. Cause I don't want to be in the cold either. I think Mike Golick has the right idea. So he absolutely does. And I need to follow him and I need to follow you and let's go warm. Cause I am over the cold weather, Andrew, I'm done with it. <laughs> All right. So um, now I'd like to talk about, um, your testimony and how you came to know the Lord. I think you said uh, in a previous interview that I heard that you didn't come to know the Lord until you were 27. Is that correct? That is correct. Yeah. Can you take us kind of through that journey and what brought you to that point? Absolutely. Thank you for asking that question. Um, Like I said, when I was a kid, sports was my God. Um, I grew up, you know, in an Italian family and, uh, Catholic church was our thing, um, but it wasn't, uh, uh, for lack of a better word, it wasn't a religious thing for us. It was just kind of something that we did on Sundays occasionally. Uh, My mom had us make our first communion. You know, I was baptized as a baby, made my first communion when I was seven years old, which is what Catholic kids do. Uh, At 14 or 15, I made my confirmation in the Catholic church, but I really had zero interest in church. I was never really discipled or taught about who Christ was, who God was, um, why we should believe, what salvation meant. I was never showed that. I will say my grandfather, the late George Romano, who passed on, gosh, 13 years now, he's been gone. He's the one that took me to my, you know, church classes as a kid and took me to church on Sundays and promised, hey, if you go to church with me, uh, I'll take you bowling or I'll take you and play video games. And so I had church a little bit, but I wouldn't have been able to tell you anything about who Jesus was. You know, he was the guy that was born in a manger and that I got Christmas presents on the 25th and we celebrated his birthday. Like that's really all I knew. So as I got older uh, and I, like I said, I pursued broadcasting and I was so focused on that world as a, uh, a broadcaster, you know, focused on worldly things, you know, chasing after dreams, achievement, success, finding the woman I would marry someday, having kids, not bad things in and of themselves, but nothing that was really um, truly meaningful or deep as far as a spiritual connection. But my brother, Chris, the one I mentioned earlier, the Eagles fan, he was the first in our family in 1998 to begin a relationship with Christ. And I mean, his his testimony is more powerful than mine because he, he I mean, they're all st- incredibly powerful, right? Because when somebody comes to the Lord, it's a, it's a great moment. But for him, he was in a really bad place from a worldly perspective. He was doing things he shouldn't have been doing. He was in a, he was probably at the lowest point for him. And so when he began a relationship with God and said yes to the Lord, it was a 180. You saw a completely different person. 
And at first, that different person was strange and weird and just bizarre. We were, we were, we were happy that he wasn't doing what he was doing, but we were really freaked out by this new Christian world that he was living in. I would even go as far as to saying that we thought he was sort of in a cult, to be honest with you, because we just didn't know what that meant to, I had never heard that word relationship with Christ. Uh, that was not what, I didn't, I didn't know what that even meant. I didn't know you could do that. But my brother would tell us, he's like, I got this amazing relationship with Jesus. And now, you know, I've been forgiven of my sins. And we were just, we thought he was crazy, but we watched him. I watched him for the next three years and he lived this out, Andrew. What a testimony he did. And I watched how he loved his wife, Tara, who he's still married to today. I watched how he loved his son, Samuel, who is now 20 years old and getting married himself next year. I watched how he treated other people. I watched how he cared for his family. I watched how he cared for God. He was obsessed. Like he was, you know, they talk about like on fire for the Lord. He was blazing for Jesus. He really was. But I watched how he lived his life. And that was what became attractive for the lifestyle my brother had chosen to to live this new lifestyle the relationship with jesus the salvation all that was still very foreign to me but mother's day 2001 my brother invited me to his church and invited my mom obviously and my other brother and we all went to church on mother's day of 2001 and my brother's church andrew he got saved and began his, his relationship with the Lord in a charismatic Pentecostal church. Again, I grew up in a Catholic church, and this is not a knock on any of those two churches, but they are completely different experiences on the scale of church-going experiences. One is a very somber, kind of quiet, very, you know, you don't, it's almost like a library. You don't say a whole lot in the Catholic church. The Pentecostal church is dancing and clapping and worship bands and singing and jumping up and down. It's a party. It's a concert. And it was weird. And then Mother's Day 2001 comes along. And this is probably the second or third time I have been to my brother's church. And this time something was different. I didn't hate it. That's my answer. My brother asked me how I, how, how I thought of the church service that day after we walked out of there. And I said, well, I didn't hate it. And that was enough for him to recognize and to be very open in that moment to say, come here, I want to go talk to you for a second. And he brought me uh, to the back of his bedroom in his house in Hudson, New York, which is close to Ravina, close to Albany. And we, uh, we sat down on his bed and he said to me, Jason, um, it wasn't that bad, huh? I said, yeah, Chris, it, it was fine. It wasn't, it wasn't terrible. I didn't hate it. I said, I can do without the music a little bit because I wasn't used to that whole worship music thing. I said, but I really enjoyed the message. And he said, well, let me tell you about Jesus. Would you mind if I share with you the gospel and what this thing that I believe in is? I said, sure. And for the next 20 minutes, he proceeded to share who Christ was, what the cross meant, what salvation meant, what being a sinner meant, what repenting and asking for forgiveness meant. And he's like, he just point blank asked me, do you want to, do you want that for your life? And I said, yeah, I think I do. And we prayed a prayer together and I walked out of there and that was the beginning of the journey. Now I tell people, Andrew, two things. Number one, I obviously had zero knowledge of the Bible. So I didn't have to go and learn and spend time 
devouring this book and reading everything in it before saying yes to Christ. All I had to do was have a little bit of an open heart. And that's why it's where it started. So I tell people all the time when I share my testimony, you don't need to be a Bible scholar. In fact, you don't even need to be a Bible novice. You could never have picked up a Bible in your life. But just say yes. Start with yes. And then let it, let it become a journey. And chase well, after God. Learn about him. Well, and if you study the Bible, you find out what Jesus had to say to a bunch of Bible scholars <laughs> in the in the New Testament and his sparring with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So absolutely absolutely it's it's you know the proverbs says knowledge puffeth up but wisdom coupled with knowledge makes all the difference so that's awesome that's a great word and i will say one more thing about that day when i said yes to god that day i didn't know what i was saying yes to necessarily i just knew that it was time to say yes and it took me about a full year before i understood what i had truly said yes to took me a lot. It, I was watching, I was really hungry, right? So I was watching, you know, televangelists on TV. I was trying to find a church. It took me a year to find a church. I was trying to, I was asking my brother tons of questions and he didn't have the answers to everything either. Um, you know, I was kind of navigating this world with my wife who was not a Christian and kind of like wondering what I was, you know, doing, I guess, in essence with this new relationship and faith. But it was a journey, and it's still a journey. 19 years later, it's it's something that I didn't have figured out, but I don't think anybody has to have figured out. They just have to have an open heart and a willingness to say yes to God, and that's what it was for me. Well, that's awesome. So did your wife follow that a few years later then or a little while later? Yeah, about three years later, three or four years later, um, my daughter was born in June of 2004, so she's 16 now. And uh, at that time, my faith had had begun to be, you know, become, I guess, a deeper rooted faith. I still didn't know exactly what I was doing, and I really had never studied the Bible. But I started to know who Jesus was, and I was attending church. Sarah was born, my daughter, and uh, you know, she's our miracle child. You know, we tried for four years, and um, you know, finally, my wife got pregnant. And I really believe her getting pregnant with Sarah started to soften her heart a little bit to the fact that there had to be a God because we tried so hard and there was nothing we could do. We went to doctors, we did everything and still weren't able to, to get pregnant. And so when Sarah was born, I think that softened her heart a little bit. Uh, and I was really intentional about not being forceful of my faith to her. I was like, I'm not going to force you to go to church. I'm not going to force you into this world of Jesus or religion or anything like that. I'm just going to kind of live this out myself but I'm also going to be very open about the fact that our little girl that we had just, you know, she had just given birth to was a true miracle from God. And it was a couple months later when we befriended some friends from our church and uh, they invited Dawn to just hang out, my wife, and uh, never invited her to church, never invited her to kind of come to a Bible study. They just wanted to come and hang out with her. And between my daughter being born and those friends, I think she realized that oh, that whole idea of a relationship thing was, was a real thing, relationship with people that could then be, you know, an opportunity for her to have a relationship of her own with God. And, uh, you know, there wasn't a, a specific moment, like for me on Mother's Day for my wife, but yes, she began to come to church with me. We, uh, we dedicated our daughter in the church. And that's where I think we really knew that we were going to, you know, walk this Christian faith out for, 
as long as we were both together, that's for sure. And, I, and here we are, it's that 16 years later, 15 years later. And uh, she's serving in the church. I'm serving in the church. I'm an elder. My wife, you know, teaches uh, pre-K with my daughter. So, yeah, it's pretty cool. That's awesome. I, I love hearing um, the stories of how God works in people's lives to, to bring them to the Lord Jesus. Because there's a lot of talk about how good God is today. But when you start talking about the specifics about Jesus and about how important he is, then, uh, you know, it gets a little more dicey. And people don't want to talk about that as candidly as they would refer to God in general. But Peter said, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. So I like to hear about the difference that Jesus makes in people's lives. And that's really why I do the Speaking for Him podcast to encourage people to walk closer with the Lord. All right. So now you're at ESPN. You're kind of at the pinnacle of success in your chosen field um, because of where you're at. But you decide to pivot um, to Sports Spectrum. Um, and I have to say, it's kind of been an interesting journey with me with Sports Spectrum because I used to listen to it when it was a radio show. Yeah. And then it went away for a while. And then all of a sudden, I don't even realize, I don't even remember exactly how I realized it, it was back. Um, but yep. it came back as a podcast. And um, then I, I've listened um, to a lot of episodes over the last year and a half or so. Um, you do Thank a you. lot of episodes, so it's hard to keep up with all of them. But <laughs> it's almost like a radio show, in all honesty, like a daily radio show. How do you decide to go from ESPN and pivot over to this um, opportunity with Sports Spectrum? Yeah, Andrew, thank you. And I remember, by the way, the radio show, Chuck Swirsky was the host, and it was, uh, it was uh, something I didn't listen a lot to, but I knew about. So it's kind of ironic now that, you know, we're here in 2020 with the podcast. This was not an easy decision by any means. Um, in fact, it was not, it was not something I was pursuing or looking for, to be quite honest with you. Uh, I mean, I was 15 years into my job at ESPN and, uh, you know, I was working at ESPN. Like I used to tell people we got to play in the toy department every single day, you know, got to go in the sandbox and play with the toys at ESPN every single day. So why would you want to leave that? Right. But Somewhere around mid to late 2015, uh, a couple things were going on. I probably was at the toughest point in my journey at ESPN as far as culture, people I was working with. I still liked my job, but it was a, a rough patch, we'll say, for a couple months. Not that bad. I mean, I still loved what I was doing, but there were some things going on. I was like, man, I wonder what it would like to switch jobs. Not necessarily VSPN, but maybe it's time to switch jobs or do something else. And uh, I found myself at a conference in Nashville, Tennessee, in July of 2015. And I was asked to speak to a group of social media experts, which was the job that I was doing at ESPN at that time, social media producer, director. But the people who I was speaking to all worked for churches, nonprofits, faith-based organizations. And we're doing the same work I was doing. So I share my story. I share a little bit of the testimony that I just shared with you. I share about the job at ESPN, what my role entailed. And, uh, and then I get to meet these people and talk to them. 
And I realized, wait a minute, they're doing the same job I'm doing, but for a greater purpose. At least in my eyes, it was a greater purpose because they're working in ministry. And that's where I kind of just had the first thoughts of maybe it was something I might want to pursue. I don't know what that meant. I don't know what that looks like working in ministry, but maybe that's something to think about. And uh, so that was the beginning of maybe where God was starting to tug on my spirit a little bit about leaving. But it wasn't until 2016, you know, when that rough patch turned into a really great patch working on Mike and Mike in the morning, which was, you know, one of the top sports radio shows maybe ever. I love Mike and Mike. And that was, that was uh, an honor. Let's put it that way to work on that show, especially later in my career where I could appreciate it more. And uh, being around two guys like Greeny and Golick, who are the top of the top in terms of what they were doing and people listening, a lot of people watched and listened to that show and they included me in their show. So I was on the show pretty much every day. Usually they would just mention my name. I wasn't talking on the show, but you know, I was in the studio with them for a full year having a blast. We got to travel Andrew all across the country. We were on the NFL, uh, you know, in where were we, we were in Houston for the Super Bowl. We were in Chicago for the world series that year. We were in Tampa for the national championship for college football. We were at the NBA finals when LeBron played Golden State and Steph. So we got to go to really cool events with Mike and Mike, and I got to travel with them. So I'm at the peak in terms of the most fun I've ever had at my job was at ESPN was the last year. But I could still feel that little tug, that little nudge in my spirit saying, Jason, I want you to do more for me. And I didn't know what that meant. I didn't even really hear that audible voice. I just kind of felt that, that God was saying, I want you to do more for me. And spent that year 2016, not only enjoying ESPN and working on Mike and Mike, but being intentional about building relationships with people outside of ESPN. Not knowing that I would be looking for a job per se, but just building relationships because you never know. You might lose your job. You might go somewhere else. And you always want to build more relationships with people because those could be doors that open up that you didn't even expect. Well, that's exactly what happened with me because in one of those conversations, it was the president of a ministry called pro athletes outreach. And in the fall of 20, uh, 2016, four years ago now, wow. I got a call from a guy named Steve Stenstrom and, uh, we were texting or DMing on Twitter and, uh, he says, hey, Jason, um, we just purchased a ministry called Sports Spectrum. You ever heard of it? I said, absolutely. Sports and faith. He goes, yeah. Uh, would you ever have any interest in coming and working with us with this Sports Spectrum brand? And so I said, well, what would I be doing? He's like, well, we really want to rebuild this brand up. So it's been a brand for 35 years, but it's 2016 at that time. We really want to kind of take it into the next stage of digital content you know, podcasting, website, that type of stuff. And we'd love to have you kind of spearhead that effort and lead it. I say, okay, that's interesting. Maybe this is where God wants me to go. I said, uh, what else? And he said, well, we want you to host and produce a podcast. And I said to him, I don't think you have the right guy. And he goes, why? I said, because I haven't, I haven't hosted anything. And this is the truth. I had not hosted anything since college. And that was 20 years prior. So I had worked coming out of college behind the scenes as a producer since 1997 until 2016. So 
I thought I was a pretty good producer and I kind of, you know, did my job there at ESPN and all that, but I had not hosted anything. But Steve said something to me. He goes, Jason, you worked with the best hosts sports broadcasting has to offer. Mike and Mike, Chris Berman, Bob Lee, Stuart Scott, Kevin Nagandi, Jay Harris, Sage Steele, Linda Cohn, like all of these legends, you worked with them all. So you know how to do interviews. I said, okay. And to be honest with you, Andrew, my dream when I was in college was to host my own sports show. I hadn't done that, and I kind of gave up on that dream. But God has a funny way of laughing at us when, you know, we give up on something or don't think that there's another opportunity. And this is where Sports Spectrum came in, and I was offered a position. Now, let me explain the scenario here. It was a 40% pay cut. It was no benefits. It was leaving the ESPN Disney giant, right, beast that is ESPN, for this very small ministry of 12 people, which was based in Denver, Colorado, is based in Denver, Colorado, and I'm here in Connecticut. Part of the agreement in me leaving was that I wouldn't have to move to Colorado. My family was here. My wife wanted to stay here. My daughter's in high school here. We didn't want to pull all that out and move to Colorado if we didn't have to. And my boss agreed, and he's like, if you're willing to leave ESPN, we would love to have you. And so I left February 10th, 2017, which was my last day at ESPN. Uh, it's a leap of faith, a, a lot of prayer, a lot of discussion. I could go on for another half hour about the process of actually saying yes, but I just felt like it was from God. And I knew if it wasn't from God, the door would shut very quickly upon leaving. But the door has swung wide open since I left. Opportunities have come, writing books, hosting podcasts, building this brand up. It's been three and a half years. We have 2 million downloads of the podcast. Uh, you know, our website gets traffic that reached in the couple million range last year and uh, continuing to build, you know, that out, having ideas for expanding at Sports Spectrum. God's been so good and uh, I would not trade it for anything. I'm so glad that he called me to Sports Spectrum and to get to talk about sports, but bring Jesus into the conversation what a blessing. It's awesome. Okay. So now I'm going to ask you a question that you're very familiar with because okay. you ask this on almost every show. And okay. that is what is God teaching you in 2020? Wow. What is God teaching me? That's not fair, Andrew. I'm supposed to ask that question, right? <laughs> God is, uh, Oh, wow. He's teaching me so much. I think, you know, initially my, my word for 2020 before all of this happened in the pandemic, was prayer. And, uh, you know, I wanted to spend more quality time in prayer with God. And, uh, you know, it requires being intentional. It requires being uh, disciplined, diligent, pursuing God. And, uh, you know, initially I was struggling with it. I still was even into 2020. And initially when the pandemic hit, you know, I work out of my house anyways. So a lot of sort of the lifestyle that I live. I mean, I traveled a lot before the pandemic for, for work, for speaking and doing, you know, conferences and things like that. But that all got put on, on hold. And I was home every day with my family. And what excuse did I have to not grow closer to God during this time? That's kind of where I felt like God was saying, you know, you have no excuse now. In fact, none of you, meaning any of us, anyone who is listening to this, who are Christians, we don't have any excuses during a pandemic. 
where we're required to stay home and quarantine. So what are we doing? Are we wasting our time watching Netflix and, 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 and Amazon Prime and binge watching shows? And listen, I'm just confessing here. I did a lot of that during the pandemic. So I'm not Mr. Perfect here. But I can sense God saying, like, don't waste this time. Don't waste this time. And so I would wake up every morning, and I still do it now. It's probably been seven months or so. Wake up every day at 5.30. Whether I got six hours of sleep, nine hours of sleep, 5.30 is the time. The reason I do that is because I need the first 15, 20, 30 minutes of my morning spent with God. And a lot of times I'll be walking around, pacing in my house, you know, quietly while my wife and daughter are sleeping and just praying and maybe reading or listening to a devotional, but spending time with God first thing in the morning. That has been the eye opener for me, I think, during this pandemic. And something I want to carry over even when the pandemic's over is to continue to make God a priority in, in the very early part of my day. So I feel like that sets the tone for the day when you do that. And then it's obviously a consistent dialogue throughout the day with God and just even small, you know, pauses of saying thank you. But the, to start the day right, I feel like when I don't start that morning right, Andrew, with him, the rest of the day is just a mess. And so that's been a really important part of my journey, especially Monday through Friday. Weekends, kind of different church, sleeping in a little bit on Saturday. But Monday through Friday, 5.30, I'm up, and that's my time with God. And uh, so I think, I don't know if I answered your question exactly, but I feel like God is teaching me to be, you know, pursuing him early, make him the first fruits of my, of my life, right? The first part of my day has to start with him or I'm out of sorts. And now it's been seven months and we're still doing it, and it's not perfect, I've certainly messed up or, or forgotten or just kind of got distracted by my phone or whatever. But for the most part, I've seen my pursuit of God grow over the past few months because I made it intentional time early in the morning to pursue him. I, I definitely agree with you. As a matter of fact, for me, the verse that's been going through my mind through this pandemic is be still and know that I am God. Yes, I, I'm in a wheelchair. I've been in a wheelchair my whole life, mm. but being still has never been something that I wanted to do. I always want to be out and about. Yeah. Um, I always want to be connecting with people. Um, really be still and know that I am God is such a key verse. And how, how often do we read that verse, but then we don't live it out. Yeah. Or even think about, you know, we say it right. Be still and know that I am God, but then we just get up and move and we're running and our, you know, I think our phones, um, you know, technology can be a blessing and a curse because our phones are a blessing. Like you and I can connect and email and text and get on zooms and things like that, but it can also be very distracting. And, you know, I always say, I think the enemy in our walks with God, the enemy looks for the subtle nudges of distraction. You know, it's not a straight, um, you know, for lack of a better word, you know, pitchfork coming at us with fiery flames to just, you know, to get us from God. It's the little subtle distractions that he kind of tries to implement to keep us from God. And he, he rejoices when we don't choose God first or when we make sports or our phones or our family or anything else an idol uh, over God. And that's the battle, I think, that we all have as Christians every day is to wake up and remember who's in charge. It's not us. You know, that's the whole point of my book that I wrote on leadership was to wake up every day and play for God first. 
not to play for ourselves first because that's where we get in trouble. All right. Well, uh, since you brought up your book, um, tell me a little bit about the two books that you've written just, just briefly. Sure. Real quick. I wrote a first book in 2018 called live to forgive. It's a book on forgiveness. Uh, I mentioned the broken relationship with my father. Uh, and I, you know, didn't ever, you know, sought out to be an author or write a book, but just felt like the Lord opened up a door for me to write and share this story of forgiveness that I came to forgiving my own father for a lot of the pain that he caused me and my brothers. So that's the first book. It's a pretty, pretty hard book to read. It's a deep book. It's a very real and authentic book uh, and story of my life. Uh, but it also has some practical uh, application for people as they read it to be able to uh, implement forgiveness into their own lives. And I believe forgiveness is you know, the ultimate freedom that we can all experience in life as a follower of Christ uh, when we learn not to hold grudges and to forgive others who've hurt us. So that's the first book, Live to Forgive. Two years later, uh, just a couple months ago, I released my second book. And this would have been the book that I would have told you, you know what, this is the book that I would, if I was ever going to write a book, it would have been this one. And it's called The Uniform of Leadership. It's stories uh, and lessons, leadership lessons, from my time at ESPN. So a lot of stories in there, a lot of people that you would watch. If you know ESPN, you would recognize a lot of famous people, athletes, celebrities, and different people that I had an opportunity to interact with and spend time with. And I just shared some of the stories from my time at ESPN. But, but even more, I didn't want it to just entertain you, Andrew. I want it to be a book that you can apply to your life. So it's, it's the leadership lessons that I learned, but that you can say, yeah, I want to implement those leadership lessons into my life so I can be a better leader in my sphere of influence. And so that's what we did. We wrote the uniform of leadership and it's been out a couple months now and hopefully it encourages those who read it. I have not read those yet, but they sound like um, things, uh, books that I should add to my book list. Well, when I am done with this interview, I'm saying this on air, but you're going to give me your address and I'm going to send you a couple copies. How's that sound? Uh, that sounds awesome. I yeah. love it. I, all right. So I, I have this question here. What is one random fun fact about you that might be surprising? We've talked about a lot of things, but maybe something not really related to the things we've talked about so far. Well, I don't know if it's a fun fact because it certainly hasn't been fun for me, but it's a random fact that I don't share a lot or tell a lot of people about. But since birth, I have had 90, 80 to 90% hearing loss in my right ear. So I have not been able to hear in this year pretty much since I've been born and uh, have still to this day navigated through life with uh, basically being able to hear out of just one ear. Um, and it's interesting because people will say, well, how did you go into broadcasting? Don't you need to be able to be a good listener? Absolutely. I said, I said, you do. And I listen really well with one ear, but that's how I roll. And uh, so I don't share that with a lot of people, but I've had a hearing loss since birth and it, uh, I'm just praying that my other ear <laughs> doesn't go out anytime soon so I can continue to do what God has called me to do. So my final question is, do you have a life verse or a favorite Bible verse? I do. Uh, I mean, listen, the easy answer is every verse, right? Because the Bible is, is such chock full of wisdom and it's God's word. But for me, the very first verse that I ever sort of adopted as a life verse, and I continue to have it today. I have other verses that have meant to me, uh, meant a lot to me, but Proverbs three, five, and six is the one that I really start to understand. This is what 
God is doing in my life, especially when I left ESPN. And it reads uh, in Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Not some of your heart, but all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. And the problem is we lean on our own understanding quite a bit, and that's where we get in trouble. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. And that has been my life to a T. When I acknowledge him and all that I have, he makes that path straight. Now, that path for me might not look so straight. It's kind of curly and windy, a little up and down, a little rocky, maybe some snow in there. I don't like it all the time. But when you look at it through the lens of Christ, it is a straight path because he's got you. He's there with you. And that has been a a verse that I've seen God just live out through my life in more ways than I can imagine. And there you have my interview with Jason Romano, host of Sports Spectrum. Very thankful, Jason, that you sat down and talked to me about your journey in broadcasting and your journey of faith. We're going to wrap up this episode of the podcast in just a bit. But first, I want to circle back to one thing that we talked about during this interview. And that is the importance of God's timing. Remember something significant was that Jason uh, interviewed with ESPN, was told he was not ready for the position, and then two years later took another interview and was asked to join the staff of ESPN where he spent 17 years. So I want to encourage you today to do as Jason says and trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. With those wise words, I will simply say, have a great weekend and keep serving the best of masters. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Your host has been Andrew Gomison, founder of Speaking for Him. For more information on today's show and to leave us comments and voicemails, visit speakingforhim.blogspot.com. You can find Andrew's ministry at speakingforhim.com. That's speaking, the number four, H-I-M. You can also interact with us at facebook.com slash speakingforhim and on Twitter at speakingforhim. And when you look for us on iTunes and Stitcher, let us know what you think of the podcast by leaving a rating and review.